Hello and welcome. My name's Stephen Dickens and I'm your co-host for the Fat-Tailed Thoughts podcast. I'm joined by my host and dear friend, Jared. Hey, Jared, welcome to the show. Morning, Steve. How are we doing? I'm really looking forward to this, dude. I am oh, really looking fun. forward to this. This is going to be a great, great thing to do every week. Finally kicking this off. It's been a long time coming. It has. It has. So what have you got for us this week? What's the topic this this week was overdraft fees so we've seen uh seen a lot in the news there's a lot that goes into it but it's kind of typical with stuff that hits the news cycle like this there's a lot of interesting detail beyond the headlines that we're going to start digging into today so let's get started here let's dive straight in let's do it i think that most of our listeners would have some sort of concept of what overdraft fees are they're gonna sort of if they've had what had fees in the past. I think most of us probably have, Steve. Yeah, most most people know conceptually what we're talking about here. But get us started, laying the foundations for the rest of the conversation. Overdraft fees. Just unpack what that is, what those mean. Let's do it. So overdraft fees actually aren't one thing. We kind of just for 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 ease of conversation, we lump them all in. But actually, if you look at it, we, they kind of break out into four different types of fees and they have slightly different attributes that we'll get into. So there's something called, and probably what most of us think of, there's something called an overdraft coverage fee. So an overdraft coverage fee, actually, let's back up even further. How do we get there? So let's imagine you're, you're, you're at a store, you swipe your debit card. If you don't have enough money in your account and you swipe that debit card, two things can happen. One, the bank can say, you know what, uh, uh, we're not going to pay the thing. That's just going to bounce. It's not going to go through. You're, you may end up paying a fee and we'll hit on that. Second thing that might happen, bank might say, you know what, we're going to let that go through even though you don't have enough money in your account. And in that case, the bank may be pulling money from another account you own or the bank may actually be fronting you the money themselves. So let's stay on that last scenario. I go to, I go to buy my Starbucks it's the end of the month. My, my paycheck hasn't cleared. I've been speculating on crypto, so I've moved out of fiat. Of course. I'm, sw- I'm swiping for that 15-book latte. <laughs> and it takes me. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a big one. It's a frappa <laughs> something. I'm a tea drinker, everybody, so I know nothing about coffee. Um, I have found London Fog this week, which, is, <laughs> which has been transformational, but... But all joking aside, so I go, I swipe my 15 bucks in Starbucks. It's the last day before my paycheck clears. I'm good for the money, but I've just maybe had a big bill that went out overnight and I didn't spot it. And I'm I'm sitting at zero and I'm going to go 15 bucks through zero. Talk me through the fees that are associated with that one. So so if that had gotten rejected, you'd pay a non-sufficient funds fee. What that means is exactly what it sounds like. Bank goes, you ain't got the funds. So they reject the transaction and they charge you a fee as a result. How many banks are actually doing that? I can't imagine there's many doing a non-sufficient. Is that because, you know, I've not got a lot of money in my account typically and they've deemed me a bad risk for that 15 bucks? It's a really good question. It's really a point in time statement. There are fewer banks today that charge a non-sufficient funds fee because of the rise of overdraft fees. So banks, if we go back um, basically pre-internet, pre-digital, think like the the late 90s even, even at that time, north of 10% of banks across the country 
we're still not just not offering overdraft services. And the reason being is that before digital, when you would go and swipe that card or you, you'd submit a check, it would actually take a person. There was no automated machine in the background at the bank that says, oh, he's good risk or he's bad risk. A person would sit down and stare at that transaction and go, yeah, Steve, you know, what? we know your money good. So we're going to we're going to lend you that money. Jared, maybe not. We're just going to bounce the thing as that's become automated. The banks realize two things. One, overdraft can actually be a really useful service for their clients so that checks don't bounce and debit card and you can get your coffee and so on. Um, but two, it's a money-making machine. So it's a way they can extend credit short-term and charge service fees that otherwise they wouldn't be able to do. So let, so assume that the banks put the transaction through. We're not doing a non-sufficient fees transaction. Yep. The, the, I've gone into overdraft. I'm now, let's stay on my example. I'm 15 bucks in overdraft. How does that work? So, so you've got, so Steve, you get, you've got three possible fees that could get charged here. And they're, they're, as I said, they're slightly different. So the first and, and, and probably the one we think of uh, top of mind is what you'd call the overdraft coverage fee. And that's just a typically a, fat, a flat fee that the bank's just going to charge simply for offering the service. Oftentimes that's going to run plus or minus 35 bucks. So when you think that the, the average transaction size that triggers an overdraft is 20 bucks, slightly more than your coffee, maybe, maybe one and a half of them. I've bought, I bought coffee for you and me. Oh, but of course, me. of course, what a nice guy. I don't, I don't care what they say, Steve. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but so you think a $35 charge, just flat fee, for a $20 average uh, overdraft transaction, it's big. So that's, so, that's I'm gonna come, so hold that point. I'm going to come back to that point. Of course. So just keep talking me through kind of how the fee structures work. We're going to come back to that $35 fee point, but Absolutely. just keep rolling for a moment. So second one that, that they're likely going to charge is called overdraft protection fee. Now, this is slightly different. Reason being is you would have had to sign up for overdraft protection. So I think a lot of us may, may have this. It's, it's on average, mo most bank uh, account users do. Um, overdraft protection. If you've ever set up a backup bank account. So if you run out of money in your bank account, you say, hey, bank, can you pull money from that other account instead? That's overdraft protection. Many banks charge a fee, an additional fee, to go and grab money from that other account to now fund your purchase. So even if I'm, so I'm a HSBC customer, even if we've got a savings account that's in credit with them, they'll still charge a fee to go and draw money, even though they don't charge me a fee when I move money between my checking and my savings account. Correct. So I don't know HSB, HSBC's fee structure, but but exactly. That's exactly okay. how it works, Steve. Okay. Yep. So the, Yeah. So you got third fee in here that, again, you may or may not pay called extended overdraft fee. So Let's get rid of protection for a moment. Let's assume that you simply had zero in your account. You bought that $15 coffee. You're now negative 15 in the account. You owe the bank money back. If you wait too long to pay that back, you end up owing additional fees. And depending on the bank, that might be you might get three days to pay it back and then say you owe another 20 bucks. Um, you may, uh, it may be $20 per day. Different banks have slightly different structures all set up to basically tell you, hey, you really need to pay us back. So the net net answer, this to me sounds like a money-making machine for the banks. 
Oh, it's been big. It's, it's, so, it's been quite big. How much are the banks making on average per year from charging us these fees because this 15 bucks literally beat my beat my sort of paycheck by maybe five minutes oh, yeah. into my account? Talk me through kind of how much of a business this is for the banks. So this is, and these are be a little fuzzy numbers, Steve, and I explain why. So the headline numbers here, we're going to put the pandemic to the side because stuff was a little funky. 2019, the last kind of full year we had, $12 billion in fees, which, by the way, makes up the vast majority of quote unquote account service fees. So all the, the fees you think about associated with like a checking account, an account opening fee, et cetera, the vast majority of those are actually overdraft fees. And is that because so many entrants have come into the market that I don't get charged for having a checking account? That's I know exactly. in Europe you can get charged for actually having a checking. I come from the UK. That's not a thing. You don't pay for having a checking account. You typically don't pay for having a checking account in the US. I know in Germany, for instance, you do pay for having a checking account. Is this basically we're getting the paid for service of having a checking account. That's exactly because right. Because so they're making money on some other people for overdraft fees. Is that, is exactly that the game? Right. That's exactly right. So the way to think about it is if I charge you up front, hey, please join our bank. But in order to join, I'm going to charge you money. It's a barrier to joining the bank. So what ends up happening is the bank say, you know what, fine, we'll knock that fee down. But then they go, wait, how else do I make money on this checking account? Well, I can come up with these other wraparound services I could offer you, like if you don't have enough money, I'm going to charge you for an overdraft, where I'll end up making money on the account, even though I don't have that up front. So we're in the fortunate position, Jared, of having white collar jobs, earning good wages, and we get our banking for free. But I'm, I'm going somewhere with this question, and you can probably yeah. imagine where I'm going. People who are on minimum wage jobs who are or maybe struggling are paying the fees that the bank sort of pulls in that enables me to have a free bank account. Yeah. Okay. You're, 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 I'm you're starting, starting to not feel comfortable with this now. Unpack that for me. So it, it's, it, Steve, your, your, your instincts on this are exactly right. About 8% of, of uh, account holders fund, fund, pay about 75% of the overdraft fees. And on average, um, on average, those, th those fees can be material amounts compared to what they have in the account. Let, let's just kind of start breaking down who, who, these groups and what happens here. So if we think about that, that if we think about that 8% group, the vast majority of them are low income families. Um, when we say low income, what well, bit of hard numbers here. Average credit scores plus or minus 500. Um, average amount in the bank account, $350. Um, with that kind of makeup, generally have fairly limited access to credit and credit cards. So as a result, many of their payments are through debit cards. As it turns out, perhaps unsurprisingly, debit cards are the, are the majority driver of overdraft fees. And this can start compounding quite nastily because a bank's not actually required to tell you when you've triggered an overdraft. So Steve, you can imagine you're, you're going to work in the morning and you stop and you get your coffee and then you stop somewhere else. Let's say you want your, your McDonald's breakfast sandwich. 
So you swipe once at, at Starbucks or Dunkin' for your coffee, you trigger an overdraft, you don't know it. Then you go to, to McDonald's, you buy a breakfast sandwich, you trigger another one, you're not paying two fees. If you have protection, you're now paying even more fees, but you're going to get hit multiple times for that for those overdrafts. All because these two transactions beat my paycheck to clearing in the bank. So this so, can actually, so I, I'm actually going to take it a step further, Steve. This can get even funkier. Um, New York's passed some laws to stop this from happening. But let's let's imagine that you actually have got, say, 50 bucks in your account. And let's say that, that you spent 10 bucks on your coffee and another five bucks on, a, on your McDonald's breakfast. Um, let's assume that you had a big purchase that day. You need, you need a new pair of sneakers. You went out, you spent 100 bucks on sneakers. The bank legally can choose to process the $100 transaction first, even if it's out of order. So they can draw your bank account from 50 down to minus 50, charging overdraft fee. Then go ahead and process your $10 coffee and your $5 sandwich. You're going to get hit three times for those fees, even though if they had processed them in a different order, you only, you only would have gotten hit once. So this can get, especially the, there are not many banks out there that, that I would call bad banks. But if you choose to, there's absolutely the potential for real abuse here. So, I mean, we've got bank regulators. We've got Congress. That to me sounds shady, and it doesn't. So, it doesn't sound equally fair. Is my first comment, and it sounds like it's disproportionately unfair to the people we should be protecting. So, talk me through why that's not front page news. Why we're why we're not talking about it sort of as a part of the lively political discourse that goes on in Washington, um, all joking aside, why have some, I mean, this seems pretty obvious, you know, why have we not regulated some of these and put some guardrails in, in place? Of course. So, so the answer, Steve, we have, and, and it's made headlines. It, it, this is a, it's a good example. Something comes and goes. So um, if we go back in time a little bit, um, uh, the CFPB, the, the, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, um, major one of the major regulators um, actually only only stood up in the wake of 2008 2009 with the Dodd Frank Act. CFPB came into existence. Um, one of the things that they're responsible for uh, consumer fraud and these types of protections. This is exactly the type of thing that that they should and do tackle. So if we look in the wake of Dodd Frank in 2013 14 etc. They actually did a huge number of studies, released some papers, wrote some uh, new guidelines to stop some of the earlier shenanigans that were happening around overdraft fees. We kind of saw a first wave of it uh, in, in the wake of the financial crisis. More recently, uh, some of the the the, uh, the Democratic Party, uh, namely uh, Senator Warren and uh, and Cory Booker, um, in particular, have been making a large hubbub about this. Um, and if we go back to May of uh, May of this year, um, the the Senate Banking Committee actually uh, dragged uh, a whole bunch of the, the major bank CEOs, J.P. Morgan and the like, in front of Congress and widely ex exonerated them um, for the overdraft fees and such. And, and you saw uh, if, if you go back to the headlines from there, if you go back to Twitter, there's kind of lots and lots of sound bites uh, of uh, Senator Warren asking, will you stop? charging overdraft fees and the bank CEOs 
effectively either demurring or, or saying, no, we're going to continue to offer them as is. And if, if you look at the numbers, a couple of the banks are, are making a couple billion dollars a year in overdraft fees. And needless to say, the headlines are, are quite compelling. So, so I think, but there's some nuance here. The discre- you know, we picked a scenario, the going to buy some $100 sneakers, I've got 50 dollars in my account and i'm gonna go and do my breakfast routine and buy a starbucks and buy a a mcdonald's breakfast sandwich that doesn't sound like it stops the bank making the ability to get fees but just the order of those transactions so being able to process the hundred dollar sneaker fee that puts me then into and then that to me sounds like a pretty easy layup that doesn't allow doesn't stop the banks charging fees doesn't sound anti business yep. but sounds like a fair customer protection so so why is that not been legislated so, or brought so this, in so this is the balance of it's a, it's a really good question like what 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 does what does good regulation in this space actually look like and and let's kind of take a, a couple different examples one version, we, we kind of, I'm not going to call them loose regulations today, but clearly we, we have a, a number of banks who, um, for instance, have made 200% of their annual profit in overdraft fees. Um, I've, got to, I've got to stop that's you. That's not a bank. I've that, got to stop you. That's a predatory payday lender with a banking license and how, yeah, I've how got to pass through the regulation, wild to me. I've, I've got to stop you. When I read the newsletter, I, I did find it hilarious that this is First Convenience Bank. I, <laughs> we've not done the banter piece in this yet, but seriously, that name for a company that makes 281% of its profits out of credit, out of overdraft fees? Wild. Um, so they, anybody who's a First Convenience Banking customer... Yeah, go find another bank. I, I don't care which other bank; it can't be worse. We this uh, is no, so this podcast is never going to be for investment advice, and you should not follow anything we say. It's not financial advice, but just go find another bank. Read the <laughs> newsletter. I think is all I would say, and make your own informed choices. As um, long as that informed choice is fine. No. Yeah, yeah. Take a if you're <laughs> low income family with first convenience mm-hmm. bank, maybe read the newsletter. So it's so so Steve. So back back to the regulations is a really good question. So um, clearly we have if we continue to, to have predatory institutions today, there, there's room for improvement. Um, so the challenge is that it's it's a spectrum of what can happen. And important to keep in mind here is you don't want to have externalities, negative externalities, consequences of the legislation that can actually be worse than. than the shenanigans that may be happening today. So let's take the spectrum of what's been proposed and then kind of start digging into what the implications might be. Um, So both, uh, you have have very similar bills, uh, again, both out of the Democratic Party in the House and in the Senate. Um, The House bill was actually uh, uh, previously proposed in in the last session. Um, It never moved ahead. It's been re-proposed with some modifications in this session with the sister bill in the Senate. Um, that those bills attempt to severely curtail the ability to offer overdraft, uh, to, to offer and charge overdraft fees at all. Um, so among kind of highlights in there, um, you can, uh, charge no more than one overdraft fee per month and no more than six per year. 
Um, you can no longer charge the non-sufficient fund fees for ATM transactions and debit, debit transactions. And the one we hit on already, that banks have to process transactions in a way that that basically is not advantageous to them. But, um, but I suppose, and all that sounds a great idea on the surface. That's the challenge, Steve. Are we So we, we enact that legislation. It goes into law. The banks go change their practices as a result. Is there an is there an issue that we move this move it somewhere else? We've got buy now, pay later. Yeah. We've got payday loans. I mean, Capital One are offering me to sort of give me the balance of my paycheck two days before. Do we create different problems somewhere else in the system because we've enacted what on the surface looks like good legislation? You got that it. was well-intentioned, but we create a problem somewhere else. Is that where your concern is? That's exactly where my concern is. And actually, uh, there's a recently published uh, paper that, that's hosted on the CFPB website. It's out of, out of uh, two folks at the Fed and uh, an economist up at uh, Tuck School of Business uh, at Dartmouth. Um, really, really uh, strong paper saying, yeah, you might want to rethink some of, some of this proposed legislation. So what it digs into is it actually goes back to the year 2000, 2001. Um, it, we actually had a, a really cool, what you'd, in, in economics terms, we, we would call a natural experiment. Um, the OCC, one of the banking regulators, came in and said federally chartered banks are allowed to charge more overdraft fees. There were four states at the time that had caps on the overdraft fees banks could charge. So what you end up with is in those four states, you've got federally chartered banks living next to state chartered banks where the federally chartered chartered banks can now charge more in overdraft fees and the state banks are still capped in the fees they can charge. You've got this really nice experiment of like two banks across the street from each other who are allowed to do slightly different things. And you can go take a look at, well, what's the effect? Um the papers, the paper's quite interesting. And 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 let's start with, with kind of baseline numbers here. At the time and, and mostly through to today, about 25% of low-income families simply do not have access to bank accounts. Um, we'd call them unbanked. Um, so huge, huge, huge percentages, especially I mean, the huge for the US when we think of kind of the 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 movement we've made forward. Those, by the way, Steve, you're, you're kind of tip your hat at, at the payday lenders and the like. Those are exactly the folks that are getting driven to that as the alternative, which is not good. So, um, I mean, if if the Dem, and, and this is not a political show and, I, you know, I don't want to know anybody's politics. If the Democrats are proposing legislation, I, I can only assume that the Republicans are looking at a more market makes the decision market drives the competition if, if regulation and, and i'm not saying regulation in some form isn't the answer but if it isn't what's the alternative so so let's let's start hitting on that so so what's what what the paper hit on and and then kind of what the alternatives are um if we look at that paper that paper really the awesome experiment they measured kind of the years before and after the change see what happened kind of three major takeaways there the banks that were allowed to increase those fees, the, the federally chartered banks, did so on average about a 10% increase. Um, we saw what, what was very, very cool. We saw a 4% increase 
in low-income families access to bank accounts. That's That, that translates to about 10% increase in probability that a low-income family will have a bank account. So, so first major takeaway here is by increasing the fees, you increased the probability that a low-income family would have a bank account. That's, by the way, 10% probability, 4%. These are big numbers, Steve. We don't normally see those kind of, I mean, this turned out to be a really big lever to give them access when they didn't have it before. And is that because there's not a fee structure somewhere else? So they're basically getting free access to banking because there's fees somewhere else in the system. Is that what it is? So, so that's one potential potential interpretation. And actually, the authors went and looked into that. Like, hey, what you would expect, Steve, if that was the case, is that they would get into the system. Then they would wake up with all these kind of fees they didn't expect and go, the hell with this, and get out of there. What was super interesting is not only did they join, they stayed with the bank at a higher rate than they had previously. So in fact, even once they got in, they were happier staying in than they were leaving. So so apparently not. So I'm a big proponent in if there's friction in a market, the market will figure it out and it will come up with a, an alternative. Um, we need guardrails from a regulatory perspective, obviously to protect consumers. And this Absolutely. is why some of these agencies exist. But tell me about what, this is a space where a bank can innovate and take a different approach than their exactly peers. Right. What's happening in that space? What, what is the innovation coming? You know, start to look ahead a little bit for me. You know, this is a this is a pinch point in the system. What's the market doing to react? Absolutely. So it's 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 Steve, your 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 instincts here are spot on. It's been super interesting because if you look previously, banks basically didn't disclose publicly their overdraft fees they were simply just kind of a, a function of the system um when you signed up it was one you get your ream of paper and it was definitely in there they have to tell you but but that's about the, the level of detail you got so as a result most banks are charging them etc um the proposed legislation as we hit on basically says for in kind of hand waving a bit but we're not going to do that anymore no overdraft fees but we've got this paper that says, hey, actually, overdraft fees increase access to banking. So you get two things on opposite ends of the spectrum. So the question is, what do you do to move ahead? Well, actually, all the noise that's been created by the, the legislation, even though it, it, it seems to be misguided based on the facts and the studies and whatnot we have, did a really, really important thing for the market. It made consumers aware of what was going on. Oh, my God, these fees. Got it. Understood. Needless to say, startups and banks alike have started to move into that space and go, wait, 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 wait. We're better than the competitor because we won't charge overdraft fees. We will give you access to credit. You're starting to see competition emerge. You're starting to see startups step in places like Earnin, which will uh, advance you part of your paycheck. So that, Steve, in your scenario, your, your, the fact that your paychecks go show up two days later isn't a problem. You've got startups like Bridget, um, who for a, a month, a small monthly membership fee will instant uh, lend you up to $250 um, so that if you were going to trigger an overdraft, money hits your account and then you pay that back at zero interest. These are really powerful things. On the back of that, you're seeing banks like Ally, you're seeing banks like Axos just completely eliminate overdraft fees entirely. So 
what the result is, is actually that the proposed legislation has kind of already done a lot of its job, even without going into, into effect. Reason being is that we all know about this now. Steve, you and I are on a podcast talking about it. So as a result, companies, banks, and startups are stepping up and going, hey, wait, we're better. We're not going to do that anymore, which is exactly what we want to see the market do. So for all of our listeners, the three people who've listened to the first show, (laughs) we're providing a national service. Go tell all your friends that they should listen to this. We're trying to transform the financial services market. Share, like, promote this, and we'll do a service for the US financial services market. But no, all joking aside, isn't that how markets should work? So they, they should, but there's always, an, and I don't, I don't want to take this too far, there's always, always a role for regulators in this market. Even with the increase in competition, especially if you are, say, in, in a small town in the middle of the country, you may simply just not have access or may not be knowledgeable of alternatives, which means there's the, there's the opportunity for, th- for those banks that want to be predatory to do so. So there's a really important role here for regulators to step in, things like disclosure requirements, making sure folks know about it. Um, there's an important role for them to, to effectively market is a bit of a strong word, but make the public aware that there are alternatives out there. Um, perhaps some of the regulation, and actually, Steve, the, the one of transactions ordering, so you don't do the big one first and trigger the overdraft. Um, New York State just passed that law a, a few uh, weeks or a few months ago. Um, so we'll see what the results are of that in New York State. And perhaps that may be kind of one of the light touch regulations that that, that could be useful at the federal level. Um, but it, the answer is yes, it's exactly what markets should be doing. It's exactly what we hope they're doing. And, and around that, the regulator playing the role as they should of continuing to protect consumers, importantly, those most vulnerable and least likely to know that they are, in fact, vulnerable and could be going elsewhere. So I think that's a natural summary. We're getting close to half an hour here. I want to start us off on good habits. Um, is that the natural summary? If you could summarize this up, what would be your recommendation? Is it light touch regulation and increased competition? Is that that's where I think you're going to go? Is that is that where your summary would be? For for, for this one, absolutely, Steve. And I and I actually, I mean, tip my hat to to the uh, the Congress people that that have been making a big hubbub about this recently. Um, that that's actually been hugely powerful move forward. Um, we're seeing that competition continue to pick up in the wake of that May congressional hearing. We've seen a whole series of announcements from bank CEOs coming out. Huntington Bank, they're, they're Discover, a number of others have moved in here. Um, so, so my recommendation absolutely allow that to play out. Um, I think there's a, an important role here for the CFPB. They published a, a number of really strong studies, 2013, 14, 17, um, in the as competition picks up here, there's a there's a really good role for the CFPB to step in, do another study, and start updating the early results and see if this is actually playing out the way we anticipate it. If it is, awesome. And if not, then perhaps we revisit the idea of legislation to adjust course as needed. So that's been a fantastic conversation. The structure of the show. We're on our first show here. We're going to have a topic like this once a week for you what's next week what's the newsletter for next week jared 
Steve, next week we're going to dive into the wealth transfer. And this is one that, that uh, hit, hit headlines a, a couple of years ago and it started to pick up again. Um, so what we're watching happening and just kind of to, to, to give it uh, the, the, the foresight to everybody on here, um, what we're watching happening is we, we had the boomer generation. And as they get older, they, they previously retired. And we've seen that in the public headlines, uh, the pressure on Social Security, the pressure on Medicare and Medicaid, the like. What we're now watching is as, as some of the, the older generation passes away, as their children, as their grandchildren get older, we're seeing a massive transfer of wealth get handed down to the next generation on a magnitude we've simply never seen before. Um, that's driving a whole bunch of really interesting stuff in the system um, that we'll start diving into. Needless to say, the, the, the wants and likes and needs of millennials and Zoomers and so on is slightly different. So the services we're seeing offered are, are really exciting as well. Fantastic. Looking forward to that newsletter. You've been listening to the Fat Tailed Thoughts podcast, where Jared and I bring you the workings of finance and tech and what it mean, and what money means in the 21st century. Join us again next week, where we'll be discovering, discussing wealth transfer. If you've liked the show, we really, really need you to share this with your friends. Click and subscribe. Give us a five-star rating if you've liked what you've heard. If you've got any feedback, my name's Stephen Dickens. You can find me at Stephen Dickens 3 on Twitter. I'm the person you send all the positive feedback to. The <laughs> negative feedback goes to Jared. He's Cleebeard on Twitter. So send all your negative comments there. But seriously, join us next week for another episode of the Fat Tail Thoughts podcast.